Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast. A real look at single parenting, how to navigate the ups and downs of life with kids on your own while keeping sane. We cover all manner of subjects from domestic violence, dealing with childhood trauma, through to fussy eaters and how to help your kids become resilient. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. This week's guest is a psychologist, inspirational speaker, author and researcher from Montreal. Her expertise is working with parents who have intellectual disabilities. In 2012, she sustained a spinal cord injury in a car accident. Mother to a 16-month-old at the time, the accident and subsequent injuries gave her an interesting perspective on parenting and disability. Marjorie believes that focusing on our strengths of character can lead to living a more fulfilling life. With her family, she learned to be a solution finder and to make her world more accessible. With all of her experiences, she has written a book called Mum on Wheels, which is just an awesome book, talking about her experiences, her mental downfall regarding um, the traumatic accident and how she built herself up from that day to this. Hi, welcome Marjorie Onos to the podcast. Welcome, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm speaking to you and to all of your audience. I know. And oh my God, what a journey getting you on the podcast has been. We booked this just for everyone's just for everyone who's listening. We booked this way back in June, July, and um, I got COVID, and so I was in bed for three days and had to cancel on you. And then, like life, just got away with us both. And by the time we got round to booking this, we're now in October. So um, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Um, look, tell everyone a little bit about your journey because it is. An amazing, like, crazy journey that you've been on. Yeah, I think that pretty much, um, I love stories. So I think that everybody's story is fascinating. Uh, and we all go through a journey. My journey was um, an interesting one in terms of, like, getting to become a mom, which um, started with me not really, not being so sure I wanted to be a mom. And one day, and... Um, I fell in love with a man who was older than me and already had his children. And then when I hit 30, I felt the urge that I needed to just like, I needed to, to become a mom. And so I left that man who didn't want to have any other children. And, um, and I went on to my journey of becoming a mom on my own. And so that led me to becoming, uh, to doing like in vitro fertilization and which which is a hard of, which is hard right because it it's lots process, yes. of drugs and like you know and all I don't know because I didn't go there I mean I was very lucky at 43 yeah. to have my kid but but yeah I I did consider IVF because I was in a similar situation to you I'd been with a guy um for eight years didn't want children decide and I did I was a bit later than you I wish I'd started at 30 and I was 40 and I went well I need to this is a really big urge in me and I need to leave and yeah. maybe IVF is what I need to do and sometimes yeah. there are sometimes where I wish I had done IVF but anyway sorry we digress carry on so you you decided yeah. IVF yeah so I decided IVF and um it took like eight eight rounds actually it was um Eight. Uh, in vitro fertilization. So, um, no. What I oh, mean is so what is, is, so what is, so that is your egg and, but you choose a sperm donor. That's right. That exactly. sort of thing. IVF is helping a couple to have a baby. Yeah. No, that's, that's fair right. enough. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So I had to pick a, a donor and I did that with like my girlfriends and we made it a party, pizza party. Let's pick, you know who is going to be the donor and wow. uh, what qualifications do we want him to have? 
um, you know, um, what attributes, um, you know, is looks important? You know, are we going to pick like someone with blue eyes or we don't care? Um, so we had fun with it. And that was um, um, the most fun part, actually. Yeah. And so um, eight, eight times over wow. 10 months. Um, but before that, I had like um, some tests be done. So, I mean, in all in all, it took two years and it took wow. um, two years and then I got pregnant and I was very fortunate. Um, it was in my mind, it was probably the last time that I was going to do this if it wasn't working. And it's the time that I got pregnant. Bang. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I did that. Yeah. And then, you had your wonderful uh, son. I had my wonderful son that I named Thomas, beautiful uh, little boy. And um, 16 months after he was born, I was in a car accident. Yes. And I became paraplegic. Which, like, it, on its own is horrendous, horrendous. And to deal with all of that without having a child. But you then had, what, 16-month-old child? Yeah on your own, basically, as a single yes. mom, because you had your child um, with in vitro, as an in vitro baby, and dealing with all of that. So, yeah. oh my God, <laughs> so how did you deal with it? I mean, was your, was your family close by or were they? Yeah, well, my parents were retired and, um, it had been a few years and they had like the beautiful cottage. And that's actually where I had my car accident, um, beautiful cottage. And they had like a little apartment close by to my place. Um, cause they were like, well, if you know, you want us to come around and for like plays and, and, you know, uh, activities and, and hockey season and so forth, um, to be there with Thomas so they were close by, but technically they were living at the cottage. So yeah. not in Montreal, not in my city. And when the accident happened, well, oh boy, that derailed pretty much everybody's plan. Um, my parents are just like wonderful people. And so they decided, you know, now the apartment is actually not even their apartment because they are moving in my house. Because for six months I was in the hospital or in a rehabilitation center. And so well, for, for six months, I, I wasn't raising my kid. Well, that's right. Because like, it isn't as though you just had the accident and then was home the next day. I mean, you had the accident and you were in hospital for a considerable amount of time. I mean, yeah. like, could you have died in this accident? Oh yeah. I, ver I was very close to dying. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I barely. That's scary. Died. Yeah. yeah. And so, and so you were in the hospital. Um, what, when did your son see you after the accident? Like how long was it till, cause like, yeah. was it a week? Cause I mean, I'm sure, <laughs> sorry to put this that way, but I'm sure you were pretty messed up, right? Um, because you would have been battered and bruised from the accident. Um, you had a spinal cord injury, which would have been scary in itself. I'm sure there's certain ways that they would need to set you within the bed that, you know, and he's 16 months. Yeah. So all of that is true. Um, Look, when I, uh, when I had the accident within like 10 hours, I was in the operating room and they operated on my spine, consolidated my spine, both in my neck and in my back to make sure that I wouldn't have further, further injuries. Um, but you're right. I mean, I had like my pelvis was broken, so I was just operated on. And yet in my mind, for some reason, I thought I'm going to be home soon. Um, and so I kept saying to my mom, don't bring Thomas to the hospital. He's going to see me and he's going to be scared because I had machines everywhere. I had like tubes coming out of my arms uh, everywhere on both my arms. I was in so much pain and paralyzed, which I didn't like think that that was uh, a problem. But to me, it was like the pain where I couldn't even like prop myself up in the bed 
um, you know, being moved by nurses and orderlies were like, was excruciating. And so I was like, I won't be able to hug him. I won't be able to, you know, comfort him if you, you get scared. So don't bring him. I'll be home soon. Um, but I kept crying and crying every time I would wake up. And so my nurse who was, cause I was in intensive care and my nurse, um, after five days said to my mom, I don't care what she said to you, your, your daughter, she needs to be reminded of why she survived yeah. the car accident. And so you need to bring her, uh, her son and they need to figure it out together. And so if he gets scared, she needs to, she needs to figure it out how like she's going to comfort him. And, and he needs to figure out that mommy, you know, may look different or may like move differently, but it's still mommy. And so it was really about sort of that fine balance of, of sort of like making it um, as we go along. And so my mom brought Thomas and he was 16 months old. And of course he was petrified to a point that he, he tried to climb over my mom's shoulder to escape me because he didn't want to, he didn't want to touch me. He didn't want to sit on the bed. He didn't want to do anything. And of course I was bawling, um, and sort of telling my mom, like, just get him out of here. He obviously, like, just needs comforting. And he can't get it here. Um, and so she passed my son to my dad. And she came back in the room. And she said, from now on, I will bring your son every single day. And I don't care if it lasts one minute, Shut two up. minutes, or longer. But it will, like, be until he gets used yeah. to you again and until he's not scared. Yeah. And how, and how long did that take then for him to adapt to the situation? Yeah. So I would say that um, I was in the hospital one month and by the time that I was done the hospital and gone to rehab, he was already much better in terms of being in, in my room and being in my company and so we did little steps, right? So at first it was like a two minute and it was like in my mom's arms and it was me reading a book. So we tried to incorporate sort of an activity that he liked where it was me singing. Um, it went on to, you know, sort of him being in his high chair near my bed and we were playing blocks, let's say. And then um, my parents were in the room, but not close by. Then it was like still in the high chair with blocks and books and my parents outside of my room until he was able to sort of be with me um, and play with me and sort of know that, for example, um, throwing blocks onto the floor, which, you know, they all do at that age. And what do we do as parents? We automatically pick it up and put it back on the on the high chair well, he had to learn that with me now, we couldn't do that anymore because yeah. guess what? The blocks are going to stay on the floor. So if you want to play that game, the game has different rules and we need to sort of like um, change the the game because the rules are different. Wow. And can he remember any of this? No, he wow, can't. Which is so like... he only knows the stories that I tell. Yeah. It's unbelievable how... They're developing and they're absorbing everything around them. But things and events like that um, just seem to, well, not disappear because I'm sure they're sort of there, but they just accept them and they just get on with it. It's like I split with my ex when my son was two and he sort of, he's asked a few times, well, why doesn't daddy live with us? But he sort of has accepted it as that's how it works for us. It's very bizarre. It's the new normal. Yeah. yeah. So in his room, even to now, he has a picture of me, you know, pregnant, standing up. Um, wow. There are several pictures on our walls where I'm actually sort of holding him and teaching him how to walk. Um, so he knows that those pictures exist. He knows that I existed as a standing, walking person. Um but it's now sort of ingrained. It's like mummy's on wheel and, you know, this is uh, this is who mom is and that's it. Oh, my God. So look, yeah. 
how did you deal with all of this, like mentally and stuff? I mean, what was the fallout for you? Because this is a big change oh. for you. Like, one, you've got to adapt to bringing up your son now, as you said, on wheels, right? Um, and then also, like, did this affect your job? Like, was your world? And also, um, what about housing and stuff? Sorry, I'm throwing a lot of questions at you, but there's a lot of questions I've got, right? Yes. So here we go. Let me just go back to the original one. How did you deal with it? How did it affect you? Well, I mean... At the beginning, I think I was just like action mode. I was, I, I needed to make things good for Thomas. And so I was really like, you know, one focus, my focus was Thomas. Um, and so I, I rapidly, as soon as I was in rehab, it was like, get me stronger, get me big muscles. I need my big triceps so I can like push my ass out of my wheelchair onto my bed when I need to, or onto the car when I need to, um, you know, so I was focused on that. Then rehab was done. And then it was like, now I need to go back to work. Cause I need to make a living. Cause you know, that's like pretty much the only thing that was stable for me. I'm, I'm a psychologist. So for me, it was like, get me back behind a desk that wow. my chair has wheels, big wheels or smaller wheels, because all our chairs have wheels now anyways, right? So when we're at a desk, so it was like, get me behind that desk, I'll be, I'll be fine. And so in doing all of this, because I was so focused on making things right for Thomas, um, I basically sort of pushed every, all the feelings, all the trauma, all the, the, um, yeah, the Yeah, trauma, I was going to say, yeah. Uh, down you know, um, and it came back to bite me like five years later. Wow. Five years. years. Yeah. Wow. I would have thought it would have come back sooner than that. So, so you just went, right, I need to get on with life because I've got a kit to bring up, which is similar, which is similar to what I did. I went, right, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I have no family in Australia, but I've got to bring this kid up and I need to make it normal. Right. It has to be, he has to have a normal, well, what? ever normal is nowadays, but he, like, I don't want him to be affected. So mine came back to bite me probably a year later though, but like, yeah, I was just like, so determined to like, right, I need to keep this job. I need to like pick him up and take him to daycare. I need to do everything and I need to be everything that I possibly can be for this kid, get the money in, get the X, Y, and Z. And you don't actually understand that you don't, you're not giving yourself time to grieve um and yep. to deal with the emotional trauma mine was emotional trauma well yours would be emotional trauma but physical as well um but nothing on the level that you went through so wow so you just got on with it then did people did anyone say yeah. anything to you like did anyone go oh my god what are you doing <laughs> my my physiotherapist and my occupational therapist they kept saying like, you got to stop. You got to digest what just happened. And I was like, I don't have time to digest. Wow. I just need to like make him work. And they, it's funny because when they, they gave me my release papers, um, you know, it was written in the discharge papers. Uh, at some point it will come back and um, Marjorie will have to deal with you know, the enormity of what just happened. And when that happens, you know, probably work will break down and, and the rest, and she'll have to sort of deal with it. And they had warned me and they had told me, like, we're writing this in your discharge papers in the hopes that your, your work at the time, when, when that will happen, that your work will understand and that there will be accommodations still handed to you at that time. But also, right, you're a psychologist, right? So you should have, yep. I'm sorry, but you should, you should have known. Like, did you know in yourself and with your experience, qualifications and everything, did you sort of go, yep, they're right, and but I'll be okay? How did, like, you just. No, in my head it was like, no. Wow. Like, this is bullshit. No, no. 
I can, I can do this. If one person can do this, it's me. Cause uh-huh. I'm like grit. I'm gritty. I'm resilient. I'm like badass woman. You know, I don't let anything uh, break me or, or bring me down or keep me down. Um, and that's what I, that's the vision I had not realizing that, you know, sometimes when we, when we grow, like, or when we, you know, when we build muscle, you need to rest at some point, yeah. right? You can't always do like your repetition or else your muscle is going to break down. So um, I never, ever in my lifetime before had understood the notion of resting. Um, you know, I had done my PhD in like four years, which usually is done in six. Wow. So I had done it like two years, like you know, faster than everybody else. The only time I would say, and I think that you're going to like that, the only time I would say that I learned about the notion of rest and taking, you know, working hard, but playing hard was the time that I spent a year in Australia. Oh, wow. Really? As Australians. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because, you know, what? I mean, you have the Tell beach me more. Right there. <laughs> yeah. You've got the beach, you got the boat. So I was scuba diving like on weekends, like it was, I was on the beach, like I could work during the week, but the weekend it was like, or, or even like at four o'clock when I, it was time to go home. It was like just watching the water as I'm like in the ferry to bring me back home in Sydney. My God, that was, I think the only time in my whole uh, working life where I, I had a good work life balance. I have to say, I think that's one of the reasons I stayed, I've been in Australia 15 years now. And, um, I have to say, I think it's one of the reasons I stay a beach is like a couple of K down the road from me. So like in the summer, admittedly not now, cause it's blooming freezing here at the moment. Um, well, some days it's not, but in the summer, pick my son up, like, hopefully if my job is allowing me pick my son up early from you know pick him up from school or whatever go to the beach we go to the beach yep. go on the beach for a couple of hours come home have dinner happy days so um yeah beach at the weekends like or, or anywhere really because it's everywhere is very outdoorsy it's one of the reasons i moved to where i am because there's baseball there's basketball there's AFL, there's soccer, there's rugby, there's so much sports. And I have a boy, right? So at the end of the day, get him out there, knacker him out, it's all good. Um, but yeah, and I, I love that it's very outdoorsy here. So, well, fair enough, fair enough. So you just get on with life. Do you have to change your house and everything like that? Because where were you, were you living in an apartment or were you actually in a house house? So I was in a house house, in a smaller house. Um, it was like those houses that were built for veterans after the Second World War. So oh, very wow. tiny house on a beautiful lot in Montreal. So in the city and um, three floors. Oh my God. And because it's a tiny house, it was not possible to put an elevator in. Um, it would have been anyways, very costly if, if the auto insurance would have uh, done that. So they refused to do that. So, um, so yeah, so very soon, like, I think it was like maybe four months after my accident, I was told you will not be able to return back to your house (gasps) that you bought just like six months ago or like a year ago. Yeah. Oh my God. You need to now like find an apartment. And that's what they told me. An apartment you have like uh, indoor parking and it's good because I'm in Canada. And so like six months of the year we have snow or like heavy rain. And like, so having a garage is like, especially when you're transferring out of oh, your car yeah. and you're in a wheelchair, you can't run in. So, um, so they were trying to sell me on, you know, you need an apartment buy a condo yeah, apartment. because then you can go in and there's a lift to takes you up and then you can wheel yourself around to the apartment and there's no stairs within the apartment, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, which, exactly. which, you know, and I makes said, sense, but, and you said, I'm raising a boy, like he will want to go to the park. And then what, like now, like you're taking me out of my neighborhood 
that's family oriented, that has like parks every second block. Um, no. Oh my it's God. Not work for me. So you stayed yeah. in the house. So I, no, I sold my house. I bought a new house, but this house had like an apartment above. Um, my parents moved in, they sold their, um, apartment, they sold their cottage. They moved in my, our house that we basically bought, which is a duplex. So two, uh, two apartments and we stayed, you know, I moved like one block from my house. Like I still, which is awesome, which is awesome. Cause you're not leaving the area, but That's right. it's your house. So like, and also, I mean, love your parents because it was a massive upheaval for your parents as well. Yeah. But I have to say, you're their kid and you have their grandchild and they will do anything like we would do for our children. They will do anything for you. So God love them. God love them. So you move house. You don't necessarily change. Did anything change at work? Uh, During that time, no, nothing changed really at work. Um, except that I got a promotion. So I went into a bigger job. When I do things, I do like, oh, full on. I'm I'm getting that. I'm getting that. So you go, okay, let me understand this. You had an accident, which had caused a spinal uh, spinal cord injury. You were in hospital for six months. You still get a promotion at work. You change your house. Your life completely changes because you have to adapt to this situation. Um, what about getting to and from work? How did you, like, I'm assuming work wasn't just round the corner from the new house, although it may be. Um, it was about 10 minutes away by car. And um, I, at that point, did not want to drive ever again. Well, yeah. Um, and so for... A long time, my parents were the one driving me to and back from work. God love them. With your son, obviously, in the car or whatever. uh, Well, my son was going to daycare, so they would drop one and then drop the other one. Um, Until I told the auto insurance, now you need to pay for uh, my transport uh, until I'm able to drive myself. Because, you know, my parents can't do this all the time. And so they did that for a while. So we did um, what they call adaptive transport, uh, which, yeah. Which has the hand controls on it. Is that what they did? Did they do hand controls on the car or were you still not driving at that point? Now that I'm, yeah, when when I'm driving now, but for, for before I got back behind the wheel myself, I had basically taxis that were coming to pick me up and drive me back. Wow. Wow, because I, side story, digression here, everyone, watch out. I used to date a guy when I was tw- when I was 21 who was who had a spinal cord injury from a quad bike and he, his business was fitting those adapter um, things to cars. Um, yeah. I think he owned the business and other people did it, I think. But, um, but yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, so I know all about those. And obviously he uh, he drove a very, fu- like this guy, like he's got a spinal cord injury and you'd think he'd slow down on his life. I don't know. He's like you, right? Like he went, right, no, I'm going to get a really fast car. So he drove a really fast, like top of the range, yeah. like fast car with hand controls in it. So it was like, yep. yeah, very and it was crazy. But anyway, so we digress. Um, okay, so five years on then, yep. everything imploded. What happened? Um, work changed. So there are some work conditions that changed. Um, and then I couldn't I, I couldn't keep up anymore. Um, my boss moved, um, changed position. And I got a new, a new boss and it was like my, my whole team had changed. Uh, the new boss didn't really know me who I was and I felt like I needed to prove something. And so, um, I was just trying to, you know, work and show that I was like a good employee, that my disability would not stop me and so forth. 
but the job had become so big because of all those changes um, that I couldn't keep up and I just I just burnt. I, wow. I burnt out. So what yeah. happened? I went on leave. Yeah. And I went on leave, you know, for, for years. And so wow. usually like, you know, went oh yeah, we're talking like a burnout usually you would say two, three months, sometimes six months. Within a year, most people are back to work. For me, it was like over five years. Oh my gosh. Just not wanting to get out of bed, just being depressed or like? Well, um, I had to wake up. I had well, to get up in the well, morning. Yeah, because you had because a child. I still, yeah, exactly. And, so I could wake up in the morning, take care of Thomas. He would go off to daycare or to school. And then I would crash and just like be a total mess all day. Then, you know, as soon as like three o'clock would hit, I would like pick myself up, let's go, gotta look good, you know, um, pinch my cheek in my cheeks to make sure that I there's color in there, uh, make sure I wash my face so that he wouldn't see that I cried all day. Um, and uh, yeah, and then I would be like on for the time that he was back home for homework, for supper, uh, for bath time, for bedtime routines and all of that. And then when he would be in bed, I would be back in my bed until the morning, until I had to be back on for, for that. Yeah. And this was you and your body, brain, saying time to stop, time to deal with your situation. With it, yeah. So that was, it wasn't, so the, the catalyst of all of this was the changes at work, but this was this moment where they wrote in your release papers, she's going to, she's going to crash at some point yeah. um, and have to yeah. deal with this. This was you then having to deal with it because the situation at work had put you into a place where you had to deal with it. That's right. Exactly. Wow. And you know, like during all those years that I worked, I, I neglected sort of my body. And we, we hear that, you know, it's one of the messages that we hear the most. You need to exercise, you need to eat right, you need to, you know, um, which is all true. And it's even more true for someone who's paraplegic, because in my case, uh, my, my spinal cord injury is high, meaning like I'm just at the border of being quadriplegic. So it's under my armpits. Um, and so the only muscles I have are my arms. So I do have full, full strength in my arms and the back muscle. Wow. That's it. Okay. So I don't have any abs. So when I transfer into the car, when I transfer into the bed, when I transfer into the bath, it is all only my arms biceps and triceps wow. and my back muscles that does that. And so add additional weight because I'm not exercising because I'm eating, but you know, like if I continue to eat like a standing person, I'm gaining weight because I'm eating too much. I'm not spending as much, you know, like I don't have muscles that spend the energy that I'm eating. And so I gain a lot of weight. And with that made my transfer slower, um, more prone for injury. And so physically I had to like, just look at what I was doing in terms of like, if I want to be healthy in, in my mind, I need to be healthy in my body and I need to like stop running everywhere. Um, and I need to like roll in a way that I control the rolling. So it, it felt like you know, you have to imagine like being on top of a slope and I'm on wheels and I let go the, my arms from the wheels and the wheelchair is just gaining momentum and wow. momentum and momentum and it's getting faster and faster. And if I don't put on the brakes, if I don't like slow down the process, I'm just going to crash at the bottom. Well, that's what happened to me. I crashed at the bottom when I needed to learn. And that's why it took me years. I needed to learn that I could use my arms to sort of slow down, that when I'm on a hill like this and going fast, I can decide to just like put a little bit of pressure on my wheels to slow down so that I could see sort of like what's happening around me so that I could spend time with my son so that I can like savor the moments 
um, you know, the reason I wanted to have like to be a mom, I wanted to spend time with my son. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to just like sort of like put him to bed when I got home from work. And so I needed to like realize that that's what I was doing because I was trying to overcompensate or stay as before, but I needed to evolve at that point um, and evolve and change and transform into the person that's called mom on wheels. Um, <laughs> and that that was okay. Yeah. And I, and listening to what you just said, I, it, I sit there and I think there are so many people and I suppose single parents are so guilty of this, that career into that, um, right, I've got to do X, I've got to do Y, I've got to do, you know, um, A, B, C, D and E this week and um, I'm moving so fast that they don't actually stop, take a breath, step back and actually give themselves a break do you, like, yeah. and go, and it's been, <laughs> and it's been a learning curve for me um, in the fact that I, nowadays, I, when I first started this single parent journey, I used to punish myself. Oh, you know, I need to spend more time doing this, but I was working. I need to do that. And I've had to give myself a break and go, no, no, no. Do you know what? If you miss one night of working out in the garage, like lifting weights or whatever, it's okay, right? It's one night. Or if you, like with COVID, um, and I was saying to you earlier, I had three, we had three days of takeout, right? Because I was so ill, I couldn't get out of bed. But, and I feel really bad for that because it's not healthy food for my son. But I'm like, it's three days out of 365 days, right? So, yeah, I think taking, stop it. And looking after yourself is so important, so important. Um, yeah. Because it, like you say, it's, mentally you know if you look after your body you're looking after your brain and and your mood and all of that sort of thing so wow so crash and burn how did you how did you get yourself out of it i mean it's funny because when you said oh you were oh, you like you got up you got you were there for your son and all of that stuff i mean i've been there admittedly not for the five years, but I've not dealt with the trauma that you've dealt with. But I've been there where I've gone, I don't want to do anything today. We'll just pack him off. And then I'm just gonna do nothing. Flick through social media, do nothing, have a bit of a suck around the house and stuff like that. But how do you, I mean, how do you pull yourself out of it for such a long period of time? What did you do? Yeah. Well, um, I think it came to, to me. I mean, I, I don't think I did something, um, after like those four or five years, one of my childhood friends said, Oh, can, can I, can I introduce you to my podcast? Um, I'm creating this brand about women and empowerment, and I would like to showcase your story as a story of resilience. And in my head, I was like, well, I'm not very resilient. Cause like, I've been like in pajamas for the past five years. Um, but I'm like, uh, are you sure? And she's like, yeah, okay then, uh, fine. And so she, she asked me to tell my story and I thought, nobody's going to even listen to that. Oh, so wow. fine. You know, I'm pleasing my friend and so forth. But that led me to starting to share my story and getting people to um, sort of say, wow, like your, your story, I love how you shared that story. Um, it, it inspired me or I love how you like framed this. It gave me like a lesson that I could apply for my life. Um, and all of a sudden I saw, and I needed to see, I guess, the value, my value in other people's eyes to be able to recognize it for myself. And so it's really when I started sharing my story and when I um, stopped sort of wallowing in the shame that I was feeling uh, about being paraplegic and, and having all of the health issues that come with being paraplegic and 
you know, when you bring shame into the light, it disappears because it's sort of like it transforms it to something different. And that's what, that's what happened. Um, And so I'm very strong into storytelling now because of that, because I really felt like it transformed me. I also learned about at that time, at the same time, about positive psychology, which is also something. So my work or my specialty was to learn about diagnosis and syndromes and working with people who have an intellectual disabilities and autism spectrum disorder. And so as a psychologist, we used, you know, Americans are really good with guidebooks. And so you have a guidebook that's called sort of like the the Bible of like the psychiatric disorders and it all has criterias. Um, So I was all in the, you know, you need to have like those symptoms to have like a label. And positive psychology was introduced to me, you know, um, as a fluke. I went into a conference one day and, and that's what it was talking about. And it was talking about, you know, how we all have like character strength in us, all of us, they've done studies and we all have 24 character strength throughout the world, no matter like the religion or where we come from. Um, And those strengths, we could pull them out when we need to um, for opportunities or when we face adversities. And having that language of being able to say like love, which is a character strength, uh, pulled me out of the car, made me survive the car accident because I thought of my son right before impact. And I said, I need to survive this for him. I need to be alive because I'm his only parent. Um, And so love, a character strength pulled me out of the car and spirituality gave me back my arms because in the car, uh, when I woke up, I actually couldn't move or feel anything below my neck. And I prayed to God. I'm not, I don't believe in God, but I prayed to God at that moment. And I asked to have my arms back because I wanted to be able to take care of my son. I wanted to be able to hold him in my arms. And that character strength, spirituality, you know, made it that I was able to pull whatever. And I got my arms back. Um, And then I went, shit, stop moving. You're going to hurt yourself even more. And that's prudence, another character strength. And so I could go on and on and pretty much name you the 24 character strength because at that time I used them all. And since then, and since I know them, I, I use them all the time because I'm able to spot how I use them. Um, and that was empowering. And so both storytelling and positive psychology um, got me out of my funk. <laughs> and... Is that what led you to then write the book, Mom on Wheels? Yes. So you sort of came out of your funk, found the positive um, psychology side of things and then thought, right, well, I'll write a book. I'm just telling people this story. So let's tell more people this story. Is that what happened? Yeah. So I pretty much was writing all throughout this time. So by the oh. time I wrote or published Palm on Wheels, it had been 10 years after my accident. But really, I had been writing, you know, something would happen, I would write it down. I would have like my iPad or I would have my iPhone nearby. And I would make a note of like, shit, this happened. Fuck my life. Uh, you know, and I collect them and never throw them away. And so when I saw the 10 year anniversary happen or like get there, get soon and knew of the power of storytelling and knew the power of like character strength, all of a sudden, like everything like went in together, worked beautifully um, because then I had all of these pages. So I had all of those memories, those stories that I could reframe or sort of present in a way that was um, true to what happened to those stories, but that I could now sort of like also bring in lessons and bring in the notions of character strength. And so the book is really about 
this combination of all of those snippets of stories of my life. So it's not like a memoir. Um, it's snippets of stories of my life as a mom on wheels with, you know, the lessons learned that I've, you know, um, how my perspective has changed since and through um, the use of positive psychology and character strength. Yeah, like what you've learned and how you've pulled yourself through from such yeah. a life-changing um it's like being a phoenix coming out of the fire sort of description really wow oh my gosh and so well how has this changed what you do now because like so you've written written the book and you're back doing psychology now or are you on a completely different journey path yeah i'm in a different journey path um, right now I'm really focused on, um, you know, doing keynotes, um, and basically sharing, you know, what I've learned and sharing those stories. So those stories are, are in written format, but they're now also sort of part of keynotes, um, to share them verbally to different audiences and to share them also to like in academia, in businesses, in empowerment type of conferences um, so that I could sort of share my stories in the hope that those stories can resonate. And if at least one person in each, you know, of those rooms, um, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, you basically, you're proving that you had a massive life-changing event, but it didn't bring you down it like you know you've grown and admittedly I must admit some of those five that five-year period of sitting in your gym jams um all day um must have been hard and but a process that I suppose you needed to work through but that yeah. there's light at the end of the tunnel and you can no matter how hard it is educate you know educate get out there and look at positive things and build yourself and I mean I must admit every morning and I did it just before just before I started this interview every morning I write down three things that I'm grateful exactly. for doesn't matter what they are it could be I wrote down <laughs> I wrote down this morning um getting up early because I started getting up early um because I get me time then because I can't do the things that I need to do at night so I get I'm getting up early so it's great coffee because that's helping me get up early i'm so grateful for coffee um that's my little joy in the morning of making a coffee and then sitting down and doing the stuff that i'm doing and um and my son waking <laughs> and my son waking me up at 1am right i'm grateful i don't know why i'm grateful for that no i'm grateful for him waking me up with the most crazy he wakes me up nowadays with the most craziest stories apparently he had a nightmare yeah. about a book and the number two last night. And I'm like, right, okay, switch the light off. Cause he came in, he switched all the lights on and I'm like, oh my God, what the hell's going on? And he was like, mommy, I've had a nightmare about a book and number two, the number two was going so fast. And I'm like, right, okay, um, fine. Switch the light off, go and get your shit, get in a bed, shut up, cuddle down. And then he was off snoring within about 15 minutes. Yeah. And although it's, um, Oh, although when I'm really tired, it can be annoying. Um, I sit there and I go, he's going to be seven in seven days or whatever. And I go, how many more nights am I going to have? Well, probably lots. But um, how many more nights am I going to have where he comes in and wakes me up and goes, mum, I'm scared or mum, I'm this, especially when he gets to a stinky teenager mm. and they're just oh, yeah. in their room 24-7. Um, so, yeah, so I sort of – I. Sat there and I went, no, 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 I'm grateful for him coming through and and needing me yeah. to a certain extent because yeah. soon he's not going to need me. So, yeah, I do it every morning, well, nearly every morning um, because I just think I live in a fantastic country. I've got the beach down the road. You know, I've got so many fantastic friends around me. Um, I'd love to move my family here, but hey-ho, can't have everything. And... Um, yeah, and so I, that's all you need. Yeah. And gratitude um, is actually a character story. Yeah. 
Oh, is it? Yes, it well, is. Well, there we go. I've got one. Yes. Happy days. Wow. So, uh, so uh, it's interesting you say that you wrote over that period of time, you just wrote down everything yeah. that you were experiencing because um, I've heard a lot of people who sort of said they find a lot of a benefit in just journaling stuff or yeah. writing stuff down um, and sometimes sitting there at the beginning of the week or the end of the week or every night or every morning or whenever they can grab time and just dumping everything out of their system, positive, negative or whatever, and just writing, actually physically writing, not tapping on a, but physically writing, although you've got a iPad or whatever, tap away, um, because it gets everything out of your body or you know like it's like a verbally verbally, like mentally being sick about like the toxicity or the positive stuff in your body so is that what you found when you were doing yeah it actually started you did the writing it started when I was in the in the hospital um and I kept getting like those phone calls which were like I mean bless everybody's heart they were calling to sort of say like we're here um, you know, we can't believe that this happened to you, uh, anything you need, but they kept asking me the same questions. How are you doing? Oh, that must be tough. Oh, what happens to Thomas? And, and I couldn't say it again. It was just like, you know, I say it once, I can't say it 10 times. And I found Facebook, um, at that point, you know, when I had my accident, I wasn't on Facebook. And I started like writing posts. And so I could write it once, forget about it, release it from my body, just like you said. And everybody was informed. Everybody who wanted to be informed could be informed by checking on on my Facebook page. And um, that's how it started. And I found it so cathartic to to just like spew it out. and then get sometimes reactions. And sometimes I would not look at the reactions because I didn't, it wasn't about getting the reaction. It was really about me sort of like letting it go on the paper. So, and so while I'm sitting here and you've said that, what would you have wanted people who were contacting you to be doing? Because I understand why they did it, right? Yeah. I completely understand why they would do it. Because right? you've, you you want to empathize with, but it just annoyed, like, I'm I'm sorry, but it would just be annoying. I know where you're coming from. Cause I would just sit there and go, Jesus Christ. Well, I'm doing fine. What do you think? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, so uh, what would have been a good Oh, it way could have of- been just like, you know, look, I'm, I'm, I'm there for you. Whatever you need, you let me know. I'll let you know if, if, I can sort of, you know, facilitate anything that you need. Um, of course, I would love to know how you're doing, um, but I can understand that you don't really want to talk about it. So if we want, if you want to talk about something else, just name the topic. I will, you know, do that. And so it was to, it would have been to give me that space. Um, and that control because really at that time it was just like darkness was my life and so I didn't want to talk about darkness and actually what I wanted to hear um, was how they were doing how life was beautiful and light on the outside so that I would be reminded of the fact that life was beautiful and there were reasons for living and that I did do a good decision in asking to survive that car yeah. accident. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and and I think we all do. We do it whether people are bereaved or in accidents or whatever. We go, oh, how are you? Oh, we're really okay. sorry, blah, blah, blah. And we sort of dwell on that person And when really that person doesn't want to be dwelled on. Let me just deal with my shit in my head. How are you doing? So, yeah, no, that's, that's fair enough. That's interesting. That's interesting. So, look, if people wanted to see and get your wonderful book mom on wheels and learn about your journey read about your journey which like is an awesome awesome book like are you 
out there on Amazon and places like that? Where do they, where do they find you? Yeah, they find me on Amazon and they can find me on Amazon, you know, .com.au. Yay. Yay. We're Yay. included. Yeah. And you are. And, uh, you know, there's a few reviews actually, because I have a few friends from the time that I was living in Sydney. Oh, um, God love them. Thank you, Sydney. Yeah. Um, and like, do, do you have a website? Can people um, like read about who you are and get in touch and like go from yeah. there? Yeah. So I have a website as well. It's called Roll FWD. Uh, that's right. So rollforward.com. Okay. Um, so they can find me there. Or if they have Instagram or Facebook, uh, even LinkedIn, you know, and they can just type my name. Um, type your name in and, and there you are. I'll add all the links anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's that's awesome. And look, um, my final question, Marjorie, my final question, um, and it can't be your own book, but... <laughs> Sorry, but what book would you recommend to my listeners and why? Um, well, I guess I would recommend it, it can be like any book. Yeah, anyone. Well, one book that I thought of as we were talking about, and it's from um, a scholar from New Zealand, actually, it's called Resilient Grieving. Um, and she has a very powerful story. Um, she lost her uh, daughter from a car accident uh, when her daughter was like 13, I believe. And so she talks about positive psychology um, and she was studying in psych positive psychology when that happened. And so um, she talks about how that shaped her way of grieving her daughter and how her family grieved her daughter. And um, so it's called Resilient Grieving and it's from uh, Dr. Lucy Hone, H-O-N-E. Um, and to me, that was a very helpful and inspiring book because it showed me that, of course, I didn't have like the same, um, you know, adversity and certainly like losing a child is probably, um, to me anyways, it's, it's far greater than me becoming paraplegic. Um, so seeing her and how she navigated, you know, the grieving process helped me navigate my own grieving process. Um, and so that was like very, um, very useful and very inspiring. I've got a massive book list now. <laughs> I need to read. Yeah. There's so many interesting books that my guests are sort of putting out there and sort of, um, yeah, such such a good education process for me. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm like, it's. I know I'm saying for my listeners, but personally it's for me as well. So it's great. No. Wow. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Well, look, we did it. We got you on the podcast at last, although it took like nearly four or five months to get you here. But thank you. Thank you for sharing your journey um, with me and the listeners. Um, it's just such an amazing story and you are such an amazing person to have come through all of this. And, um, you know, it, well, it just proves that, you know, it, we with any trauma you've got to face it and deal with it um and you know you delayed it for a period of time through your stubborn positive personage that you are um but yeah no so um look thank you thank you so much i'm so glad that we could rearrange everything and get you back on thank you thank you so much for having me no. it was a lovely time thanks for listening if you've enjoyed this podcast and you would like to hear more, please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. If you would like to support us further, share this episode with your friends and family. And finally, drop us a review on iTunes as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content you want to hear just like this. 
If you want to check out our past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast, or for links, resources, and show notes, go to our website, www.strongsingleandhuman.com. We are also on all the usual social media platforms, Insta, Facey and Twitter. I hope you have a wonderful week and I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one is perfect. We're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast.